The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, Cooley's on the show today uh, with some breaking news coming into the recording of this show. I just got a call from our good friend uh, Richard Doc Walker, um, Christopher, who was doing, you know, the doc that we know very well where, you know, I answer the phone, I say, hey, what's up? And he's just going, (laughs) 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 and he's just laughing and you can't catch his breath. And I'm like, what did I say or what just happened? Because I had no idea what was going on. And he just said, you killed Kerrigan this morning. You killed him. I'm like, what are you talking about? And and somebody did write me. Um, I'll, I'll read you two tweets that I actually read on the air. So Doc heard me read these. Um, Ryan Kerrigan, for those of you who don't know, uh, not only is leaving Washington and is not going to resign, and that was what I had for the radio show. I did not have his new destination for the radio show this morning. I had... Um, just the uh, Instagram post that he put out last night, thanking for wa- uh, thanking Washington for all of his great moments here. Um, he signed with Philadelphia just moments ago, um, and he announced that. And I'll read uh, to you what he said. But I'm looking for um, basically somebody said she and I would not want you writing my obituary. <laughs> um, and then secondly, uh, somebody tweeted out. Um, you know, basically about how you used to kill uh, Kerrigan all the time. By the way, nothing, neither one of those two things is true. Okay, what I said all this... this well, we're killing the idea of Kerrigan as a 10 out of 10 defensive end or outside linebacker. Right. That, that's what we're killing. We're killing the idea of him as a superstar. He's no superstar. He's never... He has never been a superstar. He drifted way further away from a superstar in the last four years. Although he put up stats, his superstar ability was what was killed. As far as killing Kerrigan, he's the epitome of what you want as a pro. Great dude, hard worker, relentless effort in the weight room, in the meeting rooms, good leadership, all those things. Good. I think the reason we killed him, and I'm already fired up at this because I know that what you did and I know how I feel about it is because everybody wants you to tell you that he's the best player on the damn field. You're like, yeah. that's just not what it is. Stop telling me that. And so it's not even killing Kerrigan. It's killing, like, the idea of what everybody else is telling you 
what Kerrigan is. Yeah, it, that that's a hundred percent right. Like if you don't say, I, I want to find the specific tweet about you though, because it's just whatever. I can't find it right now. I got a lot of tweets on on uh, on Kerrigan this morning, and <clears throat> look, <clears throat> both of us. There were games where you did come in on Monday, and Ryan may have had two sacks, and you did you would say, "Oh my God!" He, I mean, the quarterback ran right into his arms on one of them, and the other one he sort of got pushed by the running back into the pile, and somehow they gave him credit for it. You have to admit there were some mornings that you did that on Mondays. And by the way, I'm not saying that you were wrong. Of course, I'm. Yeah, yeah. That's where. That's where. 75% of his sex came from in the last four years. Yeah. So, I mean, the bottom line with Ryan Kerrigan is he was a really good player. But good is the way to describe it. He wasn't great. He was a four-time pro bowler. He never was an all-pro. He was never Von Miller. He was never Khalil Mack. He was ne- never Aaron Donald. He was never Fletcher Cox. He was never any of the real defensive players of the last 10 years, J.J. Watt, that, that kept defensive coordinators you know, up all night you know, prior to playing us. You know, never changed the game. Never. Now, what I will say, and I'll let you comment on this, I think there were a couple of things. Number one, I think at times he was playing out of position. I think he would have been a better 4-3 defensive end for the last 10 years. Number two, many defensive coordinators, none of whom were great, um, and had him in coverage at times, was which was really painful, as we all know over the years, to watch 91 in coverage. It was like he was back there trying to stay in front of LeBron James, you know, or or, or Kyrie Irving. Like, it was just impossible. that He was out of position so many times. But he was, you know, so you had that. But here to the positive, so those were some of the reasons maybe why he wasn't, you know, he didn't elevate his game to greatness. But also... He was always available. He was always a good player. He put up really good numbers. Um, and I, I always felt like, and I think some of the, the numbers prove this, um, you know, he had 25 pass deflections, had many ish- interceptions, had a couple of touchdowns, had 26 forced fumbles, which I think make, made him like top 10 over the last 10 years for de- defensive players. And the bottom line is, is he had a knack, Cooley. He did have a knack of anticipating things a little bit. And sometimes he looked like he chased the bootleg as as the, you know, uh, the quarterback on a bootleg is the runner was running right by him many times too. But he was a really good player. That's it. Really good player. Really good player. Yeah. And you can look at all these things you can pull up all these stats and you can say i'm looking at a stat right now that says you know most snaps played among defenders from his draft class the amount of pressures from his no one game planned for him you discussed him but no one game planned for him like they did jj watt or any of the aforementioned players he was a really good player and everybody Loved him, and he deserved that. And he was also a really good guy, is a really good guy. And he's all the things you want in a pro. And it, and, and, and it ends as a at a B in, in terms of just pure performance. I don't know why that's so hard to accept. 
Yeah, well, he's the all-time, you know, franchise sack leader, okay, with 95 and a half sacks. But for those of us old enough, I mean, I'll give you right now, okay, he's not even remotely close to Dexter Manley and what Dexter was and what Dexter did to an offense and how Dexter had to be game-planned for. He's not even close to what Charles Mann was as a pass rusher. You know, so those two are head and shoulders. I don't care what the numbers say. First of all, remember De- Dexter's, you know, played the first few years before the the sack uh, number became an actual stat in the NFL. You know, um, uh, a Ken Harvey didn't play here for a long period of time, but he was a better pass rusher and a more of an impact player. Uh, as a Washington Redskin than Ryan Kerrigan was. Monty Coleman was an unbelievable at times pass rusher. Now, he was not uh, an every-down kind of player, and he was situational, and Richie used him in a lot of different ways. But, you know, this this guy is going to be in the ring of fame. I have no doubt that and – and he deserves it, by the way. He absolutely deserves it, just like you're going to be in the ring of fame one day too. The two of you may go in together at some point. Um, you should go in before because of whatever the timing is, but he's going to be in the ring of fame, but he's certainly not a hall of fame player by any stretch. He didn't have one all pro season, not one, four pro bowls, one all pro season, really good player, really good guy. So he goes to Philadelphia and it's funny because on the radio show this morning, Cooley, I said, you know, I could see two teams in the division being interested. I could see Philadelphia being interested, and I could see Dallas being interested. And I know Philadelphia has, you know, Derek Barnett and um, and Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, obviously, on the inside, but they could use an – I mean, Ryan's perfect for a situational 4-3 defensive team as a pass rusher. Saying they stay exactly that. Say that? Saying they stay exactly that. Say what? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, because we don't know what the new coaching staff will do. Right? Is that what you're saying? I mean, we probably could figure that out, but you don't know exactly what they're going to do. Well, we he, look up the coordinators does. in history. Their coach does. Yeah, but I would imagine Ryan. I'm sure their co- yeah, I'm sense. sure their coach has a good, pretty good plan of what he wants to do on defense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he ends uh-huh. up in Philadelphia. He, you know, it's funny. Brian Brian Mitchell's the all time. Washington player that left here went to Philadelphia and really played well in Philadelphia. He also ended up with the Giants. Um, I just remember the players that came here, McNabb and Trotter, and of course Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, had some really good years here. The all timer from Philly to Washington is Sonny Jurgensen, of course. Um, so, uh, you know. I wish Ryan the best. It's a, I, I wonder, you you played for one team your entire career. I wonder, the, the, apparently there are reports that Pittsburgh and Cincinnati were both interested in him as well. I wonder how much staying in the division and being able to play Washington factored into it. Yeah, I don't think playing Washington probably factored that much into it. It might have just been staying close to where you're at. That might have been part of it. Maybe like, maybe likes Philly. I always liked Philly. That was a cool city. Would have been a fun place to play. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Pittsburgh's that far away either, if they were interested. Nope, Pittsburgh. Where would you rather go, Pittsburgh or Philly? <laughs> to right. to I live? Mean, not talking about football, yeah, to live. Philly, um, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I like Philadelphia and I've spent a lot of time in Philadelphia and I, you know, I like Philly. Yeah. And, and uh, Pittsburgh's okay. Pittsburgh's actually a little bit underrated as a city, I think, but I like Philadelphia. I'll tell you one thing, Ryan will, you know, like, like B Mitch did. And I remember B Mitch talking about it when, when people used to talk about, or even players or coaches used to talk about how tough the media was in this town on the football team, I mean, we would all laugh at it, um, but Brian would really be the one that had the perspective. And, and you could, I mean, Brian doesn't laugh at a lot, but you couldn't stop him from laughing at that one because he knew what it was like to play in Philadelphia with that media, um, you know, that sports media base. They are tough. So, you know, Ryan, thanks for, you know, playing well against us, but, uh, and we're happy to have you, but th- it's not like he's going to have, um, you know, a long, uh, a long leash on, on positive thoughts. He better, he better produce there. They, you know, they've got a good defense. They've got a really good defense. They've got good players on defense. I mean, obviously Fletcher Cox is a really, really good player. You know, they've, they had, uh, the, you know, they added Darius Slay last year. Derek Barnett, you know, as a, as a rusher. Um, Brandon Graham as a as a defensive end. Uh, who am I forgetting in the second? You know, the funny thing is, is I never loved Derek Barnett that much out of Tennessee. I never really loved Brandon Graham. I think he's a good player. I've never thought Brandon Graham was a great player. Um, Fletcher Cox is a great player. I think they have um, Hargrave. Is a D tackle from that. From who, did, who did they add it in, in the secondary? Why am I blanking on who they added? They added a safety or Anthony Harris. Anthony Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they yeah, um, and they and they obviously Avante Maddox plays for the Eagles. There, there's some talent there. Yeah. I mean, they're he, not uber talented. He he's going to get a chance. Obviously, I mean, he must think that he's going to get a real real good chance to play a lot. Um, Pitts- well, and that could be the other the other part of the situation. And we, you just met, so Jonathan Gannon is the guy that's going to be the defensive coordinator for the for the Eagles. He's essentially only been in four down defenses. He was with the Indy the last three years. Eberflus plays a four down defense. So I'm guessing Pittsburgh versus Philadelphia might have come down to four three versus three four. Yeah, really good point. Yeah. Um, not to mention Pittsburgh has T.J. Watt. And they have Bud Dupree. Actually, wait a minute. Uh, Bud Dupree, Bud Dupree signed with somebody else, right? Tennessee, didn't he? Tennessee, exactly. So they don't, they don't have him. Um, and then Maybe Cincinnati in Pittsburgh. Would you say? Maybe could have started in Pittsburgh. Maybe who else do they have other than TJ? The kid White? there that came in, he Hayward? came in and played because Dupree got hurt against the against Washington. I thought. And they had a guy that come in that played pretty well for a while during the end of the season. I can't. Remember. I can't remember his name. He was a rookie, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, really, really good player, memorable player, Ring of Fame player, all-time sack leader, really accumulated numbers, always available with the exception of that one year where he missed, you know, four games. He basically played played, played sixteen games every year with the exception of twenty nineteen. First rate, you know, um, member of the community, charity. I mean, everything about Ryan was first class as a person, and he was a really good player. Don't anybody, you know, uh, tweet us and tell us that we ripped Ryan Kerrigan because we didn't. We, we, I, I, he was a really good player. I'll never forget that first game against Philadelphia on that 10-year anniversary of 9-11 in 2011 in the opener. He had an interception for a touchdown. 
and he was really good at sort of feeling things out and sniffing you know things like that out. I thought that's what he was for much of his career. Um, uh, oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention real quickly. So minicamp was this weekend, and I look, people are. I mean, people are going nuts over some minicamp reports. You you got to be kidding me, people! Stop. You know, I mean, if you're you look, if you're out there covering it for the media, and this is your job, I understand. You gotta don't you, stop. You gotta talk. You gotta talk it up a little bit. And if they're excited about Deami Brown and John Bates and Samus Reyes and the whole whatever, but we we didn't learn anything from this weekend. And we won't know anything until they start playing games. This time last year, AGG and, and Thaddeus Moss were potential Rookie of the Year candidates. But what I was going to say to you is the fact that the news came out like late last night tells me that they got to look at this Shaka Tony, the Penn State uh, edge rusher, and maybe just said, you know what, for, for the price, if we're going to have somebody as like a situational pass rusher, it's going to be the young kid for hardly any money as a seventh rounder. Hey Ryan, we're not you know we're not re-signing you because I was told like three or four months ago that Ryan really wanted to stay, like he wanted to stay here and was hoping something would work out. But obviously they told him no, and he signs with Philadelphia. There we go. Uh, anything else on Ryan Kerrigan? I, other than why I would have wanted to stay here if I was Ryan Kerrigan. You I would mean, have or would not? Assuming, assuming you like everybody involved and you like the staff and stuff, assuming you're happy with the people involved, but as a player, yeah, I'd want to say, let, let Montez and, and Chase beat them down all game and let's go in for 17 plays a game and get after a pass rush. Yeah, I'd do that. Seems like a good good gig. No practice, reps and practice cut way down. Know where you fit, know where your role is. Yeah, it was. that was actually my goal towards the end of my career, which I wish they'd have let me have. Just to transition into the two, take about 30 reps a game, cut my practice reps to about 15, 20 practice reps a day. Would have been great. What's the closest to do that you... though as a veteran player? Because you just, they don't want to pay you. What's the closest you ever got to leaving? Did you? Yeah, I worked out in New York. No, I'm not talking about after the career, I'm talking about during your career. Never. Never. No. What would you have... If they would have traded me, I guess I, I would have been gone, but that was not in my control. Before you worked out the big deal on your own in 2007, 2008, whatever it would have been. Would have been there two more years before I had a chance to go anywhere. I had It was after my third year. Would have played all my fourth year, and then I would have been franchise tag my fifth year if anything would have come of it. Franchise tag at that time was $4.8 million for tight end. And so you never, I mean, at that point, you didn't think about, I mean, because you know what, if you had made it as a 25-year-old, 26-year-old to free agency, you would have, you would have Send been sought a after. $50 million deal. Send a $50, $50 million contract. Right. Especially it, after a Pro Bowl. Right. Yeah. But instead, you signed before, you know, in advance of that, and... Signed a deal. And we've had this conversation a million times, and you know the way I discuss this conversation when it applies to other players, that I have no regrets with what I signed. I know. When I signed what I signed, happy that I did what I did with that. No, you've always said, you know, you. I mean, 
Well, it was the Brian Arakpo conversation <clears throat> about, you know. Well, it's been a while, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the burden hand. I mean, how much do you really need? Uh, why would you take the risk when there's a boatload of money there to be had right now, even if two years from now or a year from now you could, you know, tap into more? Um, all right. Uh, several other things to get to right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you haven't subscribed to the show, do that for us. Uh, It doesn't cost you a thing, and it really helps us out. Also, especially on Apple, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, rate us and review us if you haven't done that. That really helps as well. Rate us five stars, uh, and a review literally takes 10 seconds. You can write one sentence that says, you love the show, you love when Cooley's on, you love when Tommy's on, etc. That helps us a lot as well. Uh, Also, if you missed the radio show this morning on 980, Scott Brooks was on with me. Uh, He was excellent, and I did ask Scott whether or not he has to get to the postseason, like the actual playoffs, um, to be retained. And, you know, you, you can listen to his answer by, uh, by going to the team980.com or downloading the Odyssey app, uh, which will, will allow you to listen to the whole radio show as well. So I'm so glad that you were available to come on today. I know you played golf this weekend, but I, but I have two stories for you real quickly. All right. Number one is this, you don't have the gas shortage out West that we have out here, you know, out East right now, right? You're not, you're not suffering. No, I, I was just actually informed of that over the last couple of days. Yeah. So, um, sa- uh, Saturday morning, Friday night, Kara says to me, do me one favor tomorrow. I just need one big favor. What's that? You're going to be up early. Will you go find a gas station and fill my tank up? Because I, you know, there were long lines or basically every other gas station on Friday didn't have any gas. So I said, fine. So I was up and I was up early and I, you know, Googled, you know, the 24 hour gas stations and there were like three or four in Bethesda and heading out towards Rockville. So I got in the car at like 5 a.m. And started driving, but none of these places were actually open. And almost every single gas station either had like a sign over the pump saying no gas or, you know, those big um, red or yellow covers over the, you know, over the pumps, 
over the handles. Um, uh, so it, the, the, none of the places were there. And I just kept driving. I live in close, you know, uh, Maryland suburb of D.C. and Bethesda. And I was just driving north out Wisconsin Avenue, out Rockville Pike, which you're familiar with, with their, where there are like 95 gas stations. To make a long story short, um, I got to a gas station in Rockville that appeared to have gas but didn't open until 6 a.m. And the only reason I thought they might have gas is there were a couple of cars already lined up at pumps. And it was doing what you were doing. Yeah, it was doing what I was doing. It was like 5.40 a.m. So I get, I get into the last pump available, and I'm just waiting there. And, you know, somebody starts walking over. They're walking around. People are starting to chat and whatever. And some dude comes over and starts talking to me. And then immediately he goes, oh, man, I I listen to you all the time. Listen to the podcast. Listen to the radio station. And his wife was in the car. Steve and Sandy, hello. You guys were very nice. We had a very nice conversation about um, the Washington football team. Very, uh, very much miss you. Very much Miss Zabin um, from the radio station. They were uh, very um, uh, loud about that. Um, said to me, by the way, um, very, very kindly, they said, we, we know that you aren't the biggest hockey guy, but what do you think about the Caps tonight? Because game one of their series, Cooley, against Boston was Saturday night. And I just told them, I said, look, I've had a bunch of people on the show this week, and you know, all of them think it's a really tough matchup and, you know, they're missing some players and we'll see who plays tonight and the whole thing. Anyway, sitting there. And I, it's yeah, like, I know. I told you we'll talk about that in the Stanley Cup, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Cooley's one of Cooley's first lines when we did the show together is I won't talk about. No, actually, it's when you were doing the show with Galdi and Zabe. I will not talk about hockey unless they're in the Stanley Cup. Now, that was partly tongue in cheek, but you were also partly serious anyway. We're sitting there, and then I just look at my watch. I'm like, oh, it's 10 after 6. Nobody's here yet. And then it's it's 6.15, and then it's 6.20. And then I had pretty much had enough of Steve and Sandy in the conversation. And they were darling people, lovely people. But I was ready to basically say, well, this guy's not showing up because he doesn't have gas. Because he didn't, I'm sure. I, well, it wasn't that you'd had enough of Steve and Sandy. No, 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 no. Mind, no. You just had a lot on your mind in terms of actually acquiring the gas. The ga- and so the, the gas. you couldn't talk about football and sports because at that point you're like, where's gas, where's gas, where's gas? Hey, Steve, all I want to talk about is where this gas is. So I said to Steve and Sandy, you know, I just texted a friend of mine um, five minutes ago, um, and he said he was looking into something. And by the way, this was at, you know, 6 a.m., 6.05 a.m. in the morning. And I'll tell you why this friend of mine and I were texting at that early hour in the morning here in a second. But anyway, he got back to me and he said, hey, uh, I got in touch with one of my guys. He owns the station down on Connecticut Avenue in Chevy North Chevy Chase. He opens at 7. He said, you're going to have to be there early, but he's got gas. So I shared the news with Steve and Sandy. I sort of wanted to keep it just amongst the, the three of us because there were other people out milling around having conversations as well. You didn't want to ultimate race to Connecticut Avenue. I didn't want to race to Connecticut Avenue, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, that I, you know, I, we, we, we let the, the, uh, the people that we were conversing with have the first shot at it. So anyway, get down there. Um, Steve and Sandy didn't follow me necessarily. I don't think they ended up there, but whatever. Whatever happened to them, I, I, I at least told them about it. 
and got some coffee at the Starbucks next door to this station, waited for 7 a.m. At 7 a.m., I see the dude walk into the station. He's got a bunch of orange cones up all around. He starts to take the orange cones off, and I pull up, and he goes, hey, I'm taking the orange cones off, but we don't have gas yet. We're supposed to get it in about an hour. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm not going to sit here and wait another hour. But then he said, but right down the street, that giant, as in, you know, giant supermarket, they've got a little filling station convenience store. I think that dude just opened up, and I think he's got gas. And I went down there, and sure enough, there was one car, and, the, and there was some guy filling up. And then I pulled in coolly. I was the second one, and I filled up the tank. Oh, and, and I and then swear, two cars were there. And oh, it was like, coolly! As I pulled out, there was a line going back to Connecticut Avenue, already. So I got the gas. How now, long is this going to last for? Uh, this, I, I got gas uh, right before this podcast. I went out. Uh, I, I went because I was on empty this this morning and i found gas readily available this morning so and so it's over i think i think we're nearing the end of it um so the friend of mine you pay for gas uh here's the thing they some of these stations have been really getting after you i mean they've been jacking the prices up but i i want to say that i paid would it have been four bucks a gallon oh so that's not bad yeah, I think it was four bucks a gallon. I mean, it's high, but it's not like you're paying eight dollars a gallon because right. there's no gas. So yeah. before you get to your golf story from the weekend, I don't really have any golf stories. But the friend of mine that was texting me was my good friend Mike. He and I, the night before, the day before on Friday, had played, and I think I've told you about this before. That they've got this sort of two-man tur- tournament, which basically is like an NCAA t- t- tournament-style bracket. And there, trust me, there are like 80 different teams, two men, and you play it, it, two, two guys, and, and you play it, you know, spring, and then usually the, the championship is like in the fall. You know, you're. Yeah, that's what we just, that's what I've, I just played in that tournament okay. here. Okay. So, um, so on Friday, we're playing two guys, uh, Timmy and Steve, great guys. Timmy's scratch, Steve is like a 10. I'm, you know, a 15, and my partner, um, who's a really good friend of mine, is a 24. However, he's been practicing, he's been playing, and I really thought we might have a chance because I think he was, I thought he was capable of making like four or five pars, certainly three or four, and if I could make four, you know, we'd have a legitimate chance because we were going to be popping on every hole. Um, This was a beatdown of epic proportions. We didn't make it. We made it to 13 green, and that was it. It was over, six and five. But the reason it was over wasn't because of my partner, who didn't play great, but that's beside the point. On the first 12 holes, I had five birdie putts and three-putted every single green. I three-putted six (laughs) greens. But this is the worst part. This is the the worst part. I had... Of all the three putts, they were all like between two and three feet. Oh my god! I I, I don't think I had the yips because I don't think I've ever gotten the yips. Now keep in mind, you know our course and you know how fast. And I think they're rolling at like thirteen, thirteen and a half, something like that. It was super quick. One of them was uphill though. 
One of them was like a three and a half footer, four footer uphill that I missed. That was the easy one. The other ones, even if they were two to three feet, were downhill and slippery. But on on at least three of them, I didn't even catch the hole. Like it wasn't even close. Honestly, I don't know that I've ever been more embarrassed and felt like I let somebody down more than my partner that day. Because if I had made if I'd made half of them, we're in the match. Despite this guy, uh, Timmy, who's scratch, he shot 69 or 70. Because we ended up playing the whole round because we were having a great time and we just started pounding beers and 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 by the end um, it it was it was it was a nice it was Friday it was gorgeous the whole thing we got our ass kicked we're not good golfers we understand that but with all the strokes we were getting we thought we had a chance and if I had made a couple of those we would have had a chance so yeah, flip the script so my my buddy Mike says just get it out of your mind I'm like I don't know that it's really in my mind. Like, am I sitting there? Are my knees knocking? Am I shaking? And I don't think I am. I just think I'm a terrible putter. And I'm just missing these. But I must have choked. I, it must have been meant. I think the last one that I missed, which was on on 12, I had I was just off the green with a putter, putting for birdie. And I rifled that thing by, by about eight feet. All right. And then the next putt was left short three feet. And I had to make it for, for I had to make that one for six five to have the hole. And I think that's the one I did make. No, no, no. I made that one for six five, but then the dude, you know, he had birdie. So it was a loser. But I don't think like. I, I needed to make that before his birdie putt, and I don't. I don't know. I, I choked, major choke. How do I fix that as a putter? I went out yesterday. I made a bunch of. You go work on your speed. You know the the. You, worst. Go, you go work on your 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 distance and your speed with some of your putts, so you, you don't have to worry about it so much. Was, your your greens are hard. Yeah, they're they're hard, and above the hole is death. And most of the ones I missed, with the exception of one, were definitely above the hole. But they weren't four footers above the hole, Chris. They were two and a half, three footers above the hole. There's that par three that you got to walk over the bridge. Yeah, like fourteen. Uh, yeah, well, sixteen. Yeah, sixteen, 16. isn't. Yeah, 16. The last time we played there, I had a two footer above the hole. Yeah, I hit a great shot, and I had a two footer above the hole. I touched it, and then I had a nine footer coming back. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you almost, you almost, but you were, we were all looking at it and said, "If we don't, if I don't make this putt into the hole, it, it I, there's no stopping." It. So my partner Mike and my good friend Michael um, says he's putting his clubs up on eBay and he's done golfing. <laughs> and because he's been practicing a lot. Yeah, we went. We we've practiced a couple of times. Short game stuff. <laughs> he got one ass kicking and he quits. Yeah, I, I, and I got back out um, yesterday and played, and it wasn't pretty. But I, you know, it's it's really now regressed. I can't. I think I'm now at the point where I, I'm going to take a lesson. I'm going to take a lesson. What I do, but I don't know that I ever learn anything from the lessons. Did you play? This is really. It is really funny how similar our weekends went. We played in the same exact match play type of tournament. We actually won 
on Saturday. Now, keep in mind, I'm still pretty sore. Yeah. The, like my my knee's still there. pretty hurt. The swing doesn't really hurt that much, but walking around, and I, and I can't, I started doing this thing where my right leg, if I pushed off my back foot, my right leg would swing all the way in front of my left foot on the swing. Like my hips would come all the way through. I would step all the way through with my back foot in front of my right, in front of my left foot. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to. Just my body was trying to take weight off my left leg as soon as possible. Now it's not, it, it's not swollen. It never hurt. So we won on Saturday and then we did the same thing. We played, we played on Sunday. We played against Dick Fisher and West Hernandez. <laughs> Dick Fisher and West, West Hernandez. All right. And West is, West is scratch and Dick's probably a 10. And Dick's a 10 at a course that he plays every day of his life. So it's a 10 that's not really a 10. It's a 10 that's like a five right. or four. I mean, he's you know, the, the small course. Yeah. The, and they played well. We were down seven at the turn. <laughs> and I missed two. I missed two putts. I missed a two foot birdie putt on one. Nope, not even. I hit the hole. It went in and out. I'm like, what is this? And I missed another put that hit the hole. But here's my, here's my interesting complaint. Because I've been last year, I in the last couple of years, I've been playing a lot of the courses, the Maryland Virginia courses, where the slope rating's a lot higher. Right. So if I shoot 79, a few times, and I mixed in like one or two 77s at Lansdowne. I'm sitting at like a five-one handicap index, but then, but then we we transfer that to our Wyoming course and and the distance we were playing. I'm playing at like a three, so against the scratch golfer who plays there every day, I'm popping twice. Well, so Dick's popping on me five other times, and I'm sitting there saying there should be an injury rating to your handicap. Because I can't, I haven't even swung. This is the first time I've swung a club all year. No, and I can't and I can't even really. It, I don't have my normal swing. I'm playing limited golf. You, well, th- there's no there's no accommodation for that. I mean, I realize that there's yeah. not. Um, other than I'm going to record. You know what's amazing though? I shot. I had two. Out of both days, I shot a 38 on the front nine the first day, and I shot a 39 on the back nine the second day. Like, I still played two rounds under 40. It was just the, the other two weren't very good. I, could, I shot an 80, 82 yesterday on um, an easy course. Uh, I'm, I'm looking up your your uh, – your, is your handicap in, in Virginia or Wyoming now? It's now in Wyoming. Oh, okay. Let me look it up. I want to see what you because you you talked about your your five one is your index, and then on that course with the slope rating, you were playing at a, at a three, something like that. Well, yeah, I was only getting they'll like ju- yeah, they'll adjust it. Um, okay, you are a five three. So right now in the system, I see you as a five three, and um, so I was or, playing at no more than a four on the course I was at, probably a three because we played from the one tee up too. Yeah. Yeah. The, you're playing on a course with a slope rating that was 119. You know, you played, and I'm looking to see, it doesn't say the course rating here, but I can tell you, I can see. Did you play, did, did you play my course last year or not? I think so, but if yeah. I rec- I might not have recorded yours. Um. Anyway. Uh, so the, all I'm saying is, I mean, and I'm not complaining. It, it's the, we've played a, 
we played with two groups of guys that are awesome dudes. Like we had a blast doing it. You know, it's not, it's not so competitive. It's you're out having fun. We'll still go through like a loser's bracket. Apparently this is cool. I'm, I'm excited to do kind of be right. a member at a course membership's super costly. It's about a thousand dollars a year. So you got to pay that. No dues. Um, <laughs> Oh. No, it might have been even fourteen hundred for the family. How nice is that? And, and no dues, and is whatsoever. It the, and is it a the beer, nicest place? The is course. it the nicest place there? No, most of the courses are similar. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah. The code there's a course in Cody, Wyoming that's pretty nice, and there's a course in Powell that's pretty nice, and then is it Olive yeah, Glen? Olive Glen's in Cody, Wyoming, and the Powell course is the Powell Golf and Country Club. Got it, and. um yeah, it's golf, man. I don't, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's nothing. It's an interesting course, though. This course I'm at, in in the town I'm in, in Powell, they put a new front nine in about 20 years ago, which they call like the desert nine. So you play this a little bit longer, and you're out the sides of the fairways and stuff. It's all straight sagebrush. You hit it out, and you're hitting out of like a sagebrush bush, a lot of the time. But then the back nine is like old school tree lined everything. Tight. Wow. So, so it's like two, two different courses. Two distinctly different courses. That's kind of cool. It is, and it isn't. Sometimes it isn't. It is because you get used to your front nine, and then you got to adapt completely to the back nine. Anyway, that's. It's just it's funny like. You don't have a, you know, a pro is a scratch. They're all scratched, and they, they don't play in any of the in any of the professional tournaments. There's no handicap rule. The handicap rules for the amateur golfer. But yeah. I'm telling you right now, like, it's going to take me a month before I am have whatever swing I had last year where I was shooting in the 70s almost every year. So, so, anyway. Overall, I mean, you won your first match. You lost your second. I mean, you're down seven at the turn. We actually – we were down seven at the turn. We got it back to three on the back. I, I shot a 39 on the back. Oh, that's good. A couple birdies. We, we got it back on the back. But, and, I mean, when you're down seven at the turn, it's over. Of course, you know, but but you might as well keep playing anyway. Um, yeah, I'm looking at your closing hole. Your 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 place has video of all of your holes. Beautiful shot by a drone. Clearly, hey, that's a fun hey, hey Cooley. Does does the ball at at the elevation? What's your elevation in Powell? Like, what is it? Forty four hundred something. So like the that. ball Cody's really 5, flies, right? Yeah, and there's no humidity. So that's actually been a really interesting adjustment. Is when when I'm hitting the ball really pretty well in, in Virginia, well, it's about a, it's, it's at least a 10% difference per club. 17 looks like a monster par three. 17 is not that tough of, it's 170 yard par three. Oh, it's sure. If you're playing from the, if you're playing from the tips, if you're playing from the tips, it's deep and you got to hit it over a little pond. Yeah. A little pond there. No, it's a fun course. You'll when you come out here because you're going to one of yeah, these days. One you, of these you'll days. love playing it. It's a it's a really enjoyable round of golf. The thing I love about here is you can actually play bad and still score a little bit. Like you're not going to score score, but you can play bad and not shoot a ninety. You know, yeah. As long as you keep moving the ball, a lot of times you'll hit a ball. You can duff a ball and it's going to roll 160 yards. <laughs> That's the course is dry. It's yeah. Like, what, do, well, what are you doing later today? Pretty, but, um. All right. Well, that sounds like a good weekend, and I'm glad you're back on your your feet. Uh, I'm assuming you were riding, right? You had to. Yeah. You, you yeah, got yeah. that accommodation. Yeah, everyone was riding. Yeah. 
Uh, do you want? Do you have any interest in sticking around it to, to hear about the Wizards and the Caps weekend? I would love to. I have physical therapy at nine forty-five today. Okay. I did just want to mention, yeah, that I got caught up last night watching Duke and Clemson, and this girl Valerie Cagle, she, she's freaking amazing. True freshman. Uh, I thought for she Clemson. Was, I thought she was hurt. No. No, she is. Uh, she has a chance to be player of the year, but I will tell you this: like in a zero-zero ball game, mm-hmm. she really—they were just trying to walk her, and she's overextending to swing at pitches she didn't need to. Yeah. You know, she did this really crazy thing too. Well, she, she hit a ball on the end of the bat. It broke the bat at the handle. The bat came around, broken, and hit her in the back of the neck. And she's tough enough that she went back out and pitched Damn the right. rest of the she, game. Uh, I, I mean, I think she had like 13 strikeouts in the game. She might have. Yeah. I didn't count strikeouts or Ks, but she's, she's sweet. I'll tell you what. Um, Cami Pereira honestly was – I don't think she was the best defensive second baseman last year, but my God, has she gotten better. She really is a good defensive infielder. Really happy for her development. On the other side, I mean, Christina Foreman, you know, get you know, it, it, just not what she used to be. And Kelly Torres, the catcher for Duke, really came through with a big hit. And obviously, the you know the RBI came from uh, from from Miss Jackson, the left fielder. Well, the RBI is a dink single. Yeah. You know, the Duke got really fortunate because they had one dink single to start it off that started foul and spun back into play you got to knock that ball foul okay you're the first baseman coming down that line you got to knock it foul. starts foul you got to knock that ball foul mm-hmm. and then they they kind of move around and they get a dink single and they and they won it 1-0 in the acc championship it's <laughs> i actually did watch this game i'm not even joking uh, I, I, I can tell that. and i just pulled here's the here's the here's what happened to me last night though <laughs> that you'll like so t- for anybody that listened that doesn't listen a lot, we we played this flim flam with women's softball. Well, we did it with a couple of women's sports. Well, yeah, so it's sort of inside. If you haven't listened to the podcast, it's it's very inside. There's I, I fell asleep at the end of the game last night, and I woke up at like five in the morning. And there's it's the women's tournaments coming up, the NCAA tournament. So there's this podcast slash ESPN show called Seventh Inning or Seven Innings, mm-hmm. and it's three chicks, and they are just rattling through names of girls on every team. And you oh. listen, and you listen to it. I woke up half asleep, and in about two minutes, I was laughing so hard because I was just thinking about all the times we did that. Like it sounds the exact same as the way we did it, <laughs> except they know what they're talking about. <laughs> they actually know the names, but yeah. I actually have a real um, sort of other sport story. So Maryland, the Maryland men are um, undefeated in lacrosse. They are, um, according to many, they had a regular season that many people were saying um, they may be the best men's college lacrosse team in history. And yet they got royally screwed with the seeding. They were seeded third behind Duke and North Carolina. 
in part because I guess the Big Ten isn't nearly as strong as the ACC and lacrosse. Their schedule wasn't what Duke and Carolina played. Um, that okay. aside, they beat Vermont yesterday um, in a round of 16 game. And now as the did three – Did you see the dude backhand bounce it in behind his back? I, I didn't. Um, I did. I actually. I watched a lot of Sports Center yesterday. Uh-huh. They had a couple highlight plays. Maryland did. They're they are fun to watch. Um, their best player is this guy Jared Bernhardt. He's Maryland's all-time record holder in points, goals, single-season goals. He was the Big Ten Player of the Year this year. First-team All Big Ten. Big. I mean, he's gonna. You know, first-team All-American. He's he's he's. He averages four and a half goals a game. Yeah, he's amazing. So, um, anyway, uh. The reason I bring his name up, first of all, Maryland has to play at Notre Dame next week in the round of eight in the quarterfinals. They, As the three seed, they've got to play on the road because that's where the round of eight games are, I guess, for their region or whatever um, in South Bend. So they really got, you know, screwed from a uh, – from from a seating standpoint, I know you take the the crowd out of the game for. But him, anyway, for sure. I didn't know this, but my I've, my youngest son really follows lacrosse because some of his best friends are Division One lacrosse players, and he said that this guy Bernhardt. He starts telling me about this guy yesterday because the game was on and I was in the house, and he said this guy Bernhardt was a triple option high school quarterback in Florida at Saint Aquinas, which you know produces so many great college football players a lot of players you know from uh that that have gone on to the university of miami or florida or florida state anyway as a triple option quarterback in two back-to-back seasons he went for 2,000 rushing yards and 15 touchdowns the two seasons were a combined 4,000 plus rushing yards as a triple option quarterback, 30 touchdowns, and he had the option of playing at Navy. Navy wanted him badly as their, uh-huh. you know, as a quarterback. We're playing lacrosse at Maryland, and he chose lacrosse at Maryland. Um, so there you go. By the way, uh, Bernhardt, uh, his first name is Jared Bernhardt, and his uh, he's got a brother, I think it's a brother, who is currently one of the assistant coaches at Vermont yesterday. And they were jawing they were jawing back and forth and the head coach John Tillman had to tell the referee, "Hey, they're brothers. So don't, you know, hit us with, you know, a, a flag or whatever they throw in lacrosse." Um does your sister does your sister-in-law is she she's graduated from Jacksonville, right? Yeah. Cuz they I know they they're they're a, a real power in women's lacrosse. They're always the top twenty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go turn, well, buddy. Go turn. Have fun talking about the Wizards. And I will talk to you uh, later this week. Uh, I will get to the Wizards and Caps right after this word from one of our sponsors. Here's Wilson drifting in. Oshie from out high with a shot. He scores. And there it was uh, about four minutes, 41 seconds into overtime. The Caps beat the Bruins in game one, three to two on the strength of Nick Dowd's redirect off that really good shot by TJ Oshie off a really good pass from Tom Wilson. And the Caps have a one nothing series lead with game two set for tonight. Look, this is um, 
I'm not a hockey guy, as most of you know, but I like watching postseason hockey. And this was as physical a game one as you will see. I mean, these teams were after it. I had Joe Beninati on the radio show this morning. He said, expect that throughout the postseason because of all of the matchups this year, the the scheduling uh, oddity of playing the same teams over and over in your division. This was their ninth game against the Bruins this year. Uh, the Ovechkin hit to start the game uh, that was just a massive hit on on Krejci uh, for Boston really set the tone. Ovechkin looked uh, totally healthy despite you know missing seven of the last nine games of the regular season coming in. He got the, the ice time in the regular season finale against Boston last week. He finished with four shots, drew a penalty on a brutal hit on him, had an assist, um, had a really strong screen of Rask, uh, the goalie for Boston, on Brendan Dillon's goal in the second period. Um, Ovechkin um, really with uh, a big-time game. Remember, they're down Kuznetsov, they're down Samsonov, um, and there you had Vanacek uh, in his first ever playoff uh, opportunity, and he gets hurt early. And Craig Anderson, 39-year-old Craig Anderson, comes in um, and plays really, really well in that situation. He became the oldest goalie to earn a playoff victory for the Capitals, fourth oldest goaltender in league history to earn a playoff win in relief. Um, and uh, and they got the win over the Bruins. Now, a lot of people expect this to be a very long series. A lot of people think that the Bruins are just too explosive offensively. Uh, pretty much uh, a lot of the night you saw the Lars Eller line um, matched up against um, that perfection line of Marchand, Bergeron, etc. Um, and they did a really nice job there. Uh, I thought, by the way, in watching it on TV, that the 25% capacity, which put it at, I think, 5,300-plus fans, I thought you could really hear it. I thought they made a big difference in the game. I could be wrong if you were there, and maybe we had some sound piped in. I don't know, but it was an intense game and a big win for the Caps, so they get Game 2 tonight uh, against the Bruins. Um, And we'll wait to hear the news on... You know, on on VTech, uh, and we'll wait to hear you know any sort of Kuznetsov or Samsonov news. Uh, Oshi, you know, was iffy coming into this game. He he played well. Um, two you know intense teams for a game one. Really interesting, you know, over the weekend um, in the NHL playoffs, and this is not unusual. We talk about this all the time. So on Saturday night. Uh, the Caps were the one playoff game. That went to overtime, 3-2 final. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, in the in all the playoff games, you had a 4-3 overtime game, Islanders over the Penguins. The Islanders are the lower-seeded team. The Penguins, the higher-seeded team. Uh, out, uh, out west, you know, Vegas is one of the favorites to win the whole thing. 0-0 regulation. They lose in overtime, one nothing to Minnesota. The Lightning are seated lower than the Panthers. They get a 5-4 game one win. So the four playoff games so far have all been one goal games. Three of the four went to overtime, and three of the four, the home team, the higher-seeded team, was beaten. Uh, the only higher-seeded team to win in the first four games, your Washington Capitals. Tonight you get uh, three more games, including two more series, the Preds and the Hurricanes opening up. St. Louis and Colorado doing the same. Colorado, one of the favorites to win the whole thing. 
uh, as well. Interestingly, if you want to you know, talk about odds and stuff, going into this series, it was pretty much a toss-up. Boston's the favorite tonight in Game 2. They're a slight minus-135 favorite to even up the series tonight in Game 2. Uh, lastly, the Wizards beat the Hornets yesterday, 115-110. I watched this game start to finish. Uh, I will tell you right now, I bet the Hornets. Um, I bought a half point, played them plus seven. I thought that the Hornets were a bad matchup for the Wizards. They needed the game too. The winner of this game was going to be the eight seed and have a double elimination situation in this play-in. Uh, the loser was going to be the 10, 10 seed and was in single elimination mode. Uh, the Hornets had already clobbered the Wizards twice this year. I just thought that the way they play, they play a lot of zone. The Wizards play, and I think they lead the league in isolation play. And I think that's one of the reasons they've had some issues with Charlotte. And Charlotte was pretty much in control much of the way. thought the Wizards looked really sloppy, played a horrible first period. Uh, that first quarter, um, there's nothing other than Daniel Gafford in that first quarter that was positive. They were sloppy with the basketball. They took poor shots. And the real story of the, of the game yesterday was Bradley Beal. I mean, Bradley Beal looked terrible. Um, And, you know, coming back for his first game off the soft tissue hamstring uh, injury, he, to me, was either playing possum, um, which maybe the coaches knew, or he needed to be pulled. I asked Scott Brooks about that this morning, and he said they thought he was going to be a slow starter and it was going to take a while to get used to. They never really thought that they were putting him in any jeopardy, and that tells me to a certain extent that they know Bradley, and maybe there's a little bit of drama in Bradley. Um, And I think we saw some of that for the first half. But, man, was he good in the fourth quarter. He was outstanding in the fourth quarter. But the spark in the comeback win over Charlotte was Ish Smith. He had an incredible steal of Zeller. Then on the other end, you know, broke down the defense. That led to a wide-open look for Beal. Ish Smith ended up going for 14 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists in 32 minutes. He was 7 of 11 from the floor. Westbrook got to the line, made a lot of free throws. I did not think it was a great game from Westbrook, who finished with 23-15 and 10. Um, had some sloppy turnovers, had a couple of really Real bad decisions offensively. And I thought Robin Lopez was excellent. Man, I love watching Robin Lopez play. Now, Gafford is a guy that I think has to play more. He didn't yesterday. When I had Scott Brooks on the show, Brooks said, you know, we rode Lopez because we really thought he was a difficult matchup. They go small, and Lopez is a true low post center. And if you've watched him play, he's got this, you know, odd-looking jump hook. It's sort of a you know a, a mix between a hook shot and a jump hook. Um, and he never seems to miss it. He was 9 of 11, had 18 points, uh, 6 rebounds, a steal, uh, an assist in 27 minutes. He was outstanding, and the Wizards came back and won. Good for them. Um, I will just leave you with this one thought. They play Boston tomorrow night in the 7-8 game as the play-in. If they win, they're the seven seed. They play Brooklyn. They are a one and a half point underdog. At least they were earlier this morning to Boston. Boston's lost four or five in a row. No Jalen Brown. They are reeling coming in. The Wizards need to win tomorrow night. If they lose, they will have another opportunity on Thursday night to play the winner of the Charlotte Indiana game. I want them to win tomorrow night because I think if Charlotte beats Indiana, 
I think it's a tough matchup for the Wizards in a one-and-done against a Charlotte team that's got talent, athleticism, you know, I think maybe some better decision makers. You know, even LaMelo Ball, who's a rookie, I think he at times really has super high IQ ability uh, with the basketball in his hands, at least, you know, in the games that I've watched this year. Uh, yesterday, LaMelo was 19 five assists, just one turnover. Um, Rogier can really shoot it, they can really spread you. I think it's a tough matchup. And I would be surprised if the Wizards get to that game. Um, even though it would be at Capital One Arena on Thursday night, uh, I think they'd be a short favorite in that game. And I think the Charlotte Hornets would have a chance to win the game. Look, maybe maybe Indiana gets them tomorrow night. But I think the real opportunity is take advantage of the momentum they have created here over the last you know month and a half. Down 15 games. They've played great basketball. They end up 34-38. and 38. If they had Beal last week for the two Atlanta games, they might be on a six-game winning streak coming in. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of this run uh, for them – uh, when they were 15 games below 500, if you go back to when did they? Uh, yeah, here it is. Um, it's it all started basically uh, at 17 and 32, and since that moment, um, they went 17 uh, and six the rest of the way. And the six losses, five of the six losses, were essentially all at the end of the game, and two of those losses were without Bradley Beal. So. They could have been even better. They played great. I don't know how much their style of play will work in a game that slows down a little bit. They play a lot of iso ball. Uh, Charlotte plays a lot of zone. Um, And we'll see. Uh, I'd love to see a matchup, though, against Brooklyn. I don't think they'd beat Brooklyn in the first round, but I think they could win a game or two. And if they ended up being the eight and played Philadelphia, uh, that would be tough, too. I mean, I don't see the Wizards winning a first-round series, but I'd like to see it anyway. I'd like to see them push one of these top two seeds in the East uh, to, you know, a, a lengthy series. Maybe, you know, you maybe get to 2-2 or 3-2, and, you know, you're right there with a shot. Uh, but... Um, Really, really impressive. Ish Smith, uh, Robin Lopez, um, and Bradley Beal specifically uh, in the fourth quarter. All right, I think that's it for the day. I don't think I have anything else. Um, Actually, two more things to finish up the show. Uh, Almost forgot. Number one, credit to Eddie C., who was on this show on Friday. Eddie C. gave you Ron Bauer in Midnight Bourbon. That's how it finished 1-2. Uh, he will definitely be back on uh, be back on with us prior to the Belmont. Um, Eddie C. in Florida, uh, a friend to many uh, in this city. Um, he got it right, and I was at a Preakness party Saturday night, and um, everybody was talking about Eddie C.'s picks. So, Eddie C., congrats, great job, and I definitely want you back on this show prior to the Belmont uh, to get your picks for that one. The other thing that I wanted to end the show with was this weekend was the uh, Hall of Fame inductions for um, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett and and others. Mike Wilbon went into the Hall of Fame. Congrats to Mike. Um, but they also announced the class upcoming for 2021. You know, th- this was the 2020 class that went in uh, over the weekend. The 2021 class um, includes, by the way, several former Wizards slash Bullets, even if they were here for you know a brief period of time. Paul Pierce is going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, ben Wallace is going into the Hall of Fame. Chris Webber is going into the Hall of Fame. But Bobby Dandridge is going into the Hall of Fame, finally. 
Bobby Dandridge deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Bobby Dandridge had um, a, quite a career uh, in the NBA, but more importantly for us here in Washington, Bobby Dandridge is the reason Washington has a professional basketball championship banner. Their only one, which came in 1978. Dandridge was a six foot six inch small forward who could play two guard. And the NBA was a part of the Milwaukee Bucks, drafted by the Bucks out of Norfolk State. You know, so he was from this general area to begin with. Um, played in the 1971 NBA Finals with Lou Alcindor before he became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson, and won a title with Milwaukee as a very young player in 1971. Uh, came to Washington in 1977, 1977-78, and he was the missing piece for Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes, who had tried and had banged their heads up against the NBA Finals and the NBA playoffs year after year after year and had not brought home or brought Washington a title yet. Bobby D got here, and they won it in 1978, and he was outstanding as a player. First of all, in his first season in Washington, he averaged 19.3 points per game, six rebounds a game, um, you know, a steal and a half. He was an excellent defender. More than that, he was a super clutch player, a super clutch player. In the postseason for Washington, in 77-78, in the 78 playoffs, he averaged 21.2 points per game, 1.6 steals, nearly seven rebounds, and nearly four assists. And they went to the NBA Finals. They beat Seattle in a seventh and deciding game, and he was huge. In the 79 playoffs, he averaged 23.1 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, um, as Washington went back to the NBA Finals before losing in the NBA Finals to Seattle. Now, the first year he was here, um, Bobby D, you know, came up with clutch games. I mean, big-time clutch games. And their first... Uh, NBA Finals um, in, in that two two year stretch with Seattle, he had a game two that they won uh, where he went for thirty four, and in game seven with Elvin Hayes in foul trouble, nineteen points, six rebounds, three assists, um, in a one hundred five one hundred seventh and deciding game win at Seattle uh, to to win their their lone title. But his most famous game was in the seventh and deciding game of the Eastern Conference Finals in 1979. The Bullets were the reigning world champions. They had beaten Atlanta in a best of seven in a seventh and deciding game where Dandridge had 29 points, 10 rebounds. Elvin Hayes was phenomenal in that particular game. The Big E may be the, the best overall game he's ever had in the postseason. 39 points, 15 rebounds, and I think it was six block shots. Uh, I'd have to look that up to be sure about that. And, and they beat Atlanta in a seventh and deciding game. But then in the Eastern Conference Finals in 1979 is the defending uh, NBA champions. They played the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs were in the Eastern Conference then. And Bobby Dandridge in that seventh and deciding game. After, by the way, the Bullets were down three games to one, and they came back. They won game five at home. They, they, they won game six in San Antonio to force a seventh and deciding game. In that seventh and deciding game, Dandridge went for 37 points, nine rebounds, 16 of 31 from the floor, uh, no three-pointer in 1979 people, played 45 of the um, 53 minutes in the game because the game went to overtime. 
But this is what uh, this is one of those things that I'll never ever forget um, about that game. Uh, at the end of the game, score tied at 105-105. Actually, there was something that happened before. The S- Spurs fans will tell you before they won all those titles with Duncan and Robinson and Pop and Ginobili and Parker and everybody that they the closest they ever got was this seventh and deciding game against the Bullets to the NBA Finals, and they feel like they were robbed in the game. The officiating was horrible. The lights went out for a 10-minute delay when they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, and just it, it went all wrong for San Antonio down the stretch. Anyway, with the score tied and the Bullets having possession of the ball with about 15 seconds to go, this, the famous story, which was told on the Dan Patrick uh, NBA Classics show where you know they do an NBA Classic game, and in this particular show they had George Gervin, who had 42 in that seventh and deciding game. Bobby D had 37, and they had Dandridge on the show. And basically, for about the first minute and a half of the timeout, there's nothing said by any of the coaches to the players in the huddle. 15 seconds to go tie game, game seven, Eastern Conference Finals. And then as the horn sounded, Dick Mata, who was the coach, got into the huddle and said, throw the ball into Bobby, Bobby, go win it for us. That was the play. They threw it into Dandridge. He had a favorite spot, which was about uh, 12 to 15 feet on the baseline. He got to that spot, knocked down the shot with about six seconds to go. They took the lead. Elvin Hayes had a block shot on the other end, and Washington won the game 107-105 to to advance to the NBA Finals for a second straight year and have a chance to defend their title. That was the best playoff game of Dandridge's career. He was a clutch player. He was a clutch defender. Um, and he deserves uh, the honor of being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Congratulations to them. By the way, they went on and lost the finals to Seattle that year, four games to one. But Dandridge was sensational in those finals, Um, averaged, I think, 20 a game uh, in those NBA finals. All right, that's it for today. Back tomorrow with Tommy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.